If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Everybody, welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And I have such a treat for you this week. Michelle Orovitz is with us. Hi, Michelle. Welcome. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. She is one of my favorite people on the planet, and she's an angelic attendant training grad. She's part of the AAT community, and she is a fertility specialist. So she combines woo-woo with her work as an acupuncturist. And so I asked her to join us this week so she could tell all of us about the work that she does. And you're going to find that she's just really a remarkable woman and you'll adore her as much as I do when she gets to know her a little bit. So Michelle, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me. And the feeling is mutual. I adore you as well. And this is awesome. Well, acupuncture is specializing in fertility health. How's that mm-hmm. work? Okay, so... Um, So basically, just like anything, when you're doing natural medicine, you can decide to specialize and and start working on like specific things. And I was always called to fertility. And I think that part of it was that I was always an artist and I always used to paint. And I feel like I channel a woman through my paintings. And I feel like this energy of this uh, fertility goddess, uh, Guan Yin, is something that seems to repeat in my life. And, and I really do believe that she comes through not only in my paintings, but also in my work with women. Interesting. Is she a, an Asian goddess? Yes. Yeah, so, so she's an Asian, almost like a female Buddha, but I do believe that she is 
repeated through different cultures. So I feel like she comes out as Mother Mary, depending on the different culture. It's kind of like that female, loving, compassion, feminine energy. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I know there's lots of probably Isis and, yes. and Mother and Mary. She's also, and, yeah, goddess of fertility as well. Right. Right. Interesting. Well, you are an architect to start out. How does one go yep. from being an architect to being an acupuncturist specializing in fertility? Um, so I started out as a patient myself. I was an architect. Um, it didn't end up being quite what I imagined it to be. It wasn't as creative. And I didn't feel, I think really I, my calling was to work with people. And I didn't feel like I had the same kind of meaning that I was craving through architecture. I felt like most of the time I was sitting in an office, um, seeing the same few people every day um, who, if I liked them, the job was amazing. And if it was, if I was okay, you know, it wasn't anything that special, you know? Um, But that wasn't enough for me to really be passionate about a career. So I started out as a patient doing acupuncture. And the first time I went I was amazed and it actually alleviated my own reproductive symptoms, which was not getting my period for three months in a row, uh, many times, three months, two months, completely regular. And no doctor, Western medicine doctor was able to help besides just giving me the birth control pill. And um, I was seeking answers and I didn't get any. I knew that it was out there somewhere and I eventually found it in acupuncture, completely resolved and I also felt an amazing sense of vitality in my my like well-being, my life, my physical body, but also my spirit. I felt a lot more alive. Well, did you come from a family that used natural medicine versus what we consider to be Western medicine? Or was this just a total lark that you went to an acupuncturist kind of as a last resort to help with your infertility issues? Well, um, we didn't have necessarily natural medicine, but interestingly enough, my grandmother was really into natural health, natural medicine. She used to read books, actually Egyptian books about uh, medicine, natural medicine, and how honey has certain uh, benefits for the body and like just natural. Like she, she used to tell me, if you meet what we're intended to eat from the earth, like really, really healthy food you'll never get sick if you know what to eat. And she used to have a raw garlic every day. She was all about natural medicine. And I was very intrigued by it. And I I really was so interested in everything she taught me. And I was really curious to find my own because I think when I was younger, they didn't have as many books on natural medicine. It started happening a little bit later where it was for the lay person and they had natural remedy books. So when it started coming out, I was very intrigued. So I always had the interest, um, but it wasn't something I went straight to school for. How did she know that stuff just from her culture? Where was where did she live? Where was she from? How so did she she was from Iraq, that? Iraq. Right. And um, and so she was able to get access to books, I guess. in it was in Arabic, written in Arabic from um, Egyptian books. Um, so we're, you know, Jewish from Iraq, very small um, culture within, but she was able to understand and access and, and, you know, read books. I guess it was mostly Egyptian medicine, which is just fascinating. I mean, there's so it's just so interesting. 
Well, don't you find that so many of the ancient cultures did have amazing remedies that have been brushed aside by our quote Western medicine in this day and age. And, and it's starting to come back because the Western medicine doesn't have the answer for everything. Certainly there's a place for it. And certainly it's part of the healing equation. But I believe that there are many methodologies when combined we can really move forward from a medical perspective and not just one way is the only way. I mean, certainly back to the Salem witch trials, a lot of those women were natural healers and using mm-hmm. herbs and energy and things like that. And they got burned at the stake for heaven's sake. I sakes. know. Crazy, crazy. But you know what it is? It's just, it's a spectrum, right? So a lot of times Western medicine is really good for things like trauma or things that are really, really severe. So that's a spectrum, but you can't use those things for things that are more subtle occurring in your body. And Eastern medicine, medicine, we actually don't need, it's, we can see things before they actually appear in labs. So for example, we can almost detect like blood deficiency before it becomes anemia and it's detected by labs. So somebody can be blood deficient, which means they have a deficiency similar to anemia um, through the blood, but um, they're not yet at the point where it's so severe that it actually shows up and is a lot more symptomatic. So we look at like the subtleties and when we're able to balance those the body actually is able to heal itself. So we really assist the body in its own self-healing. I know you're married to a physician, so I can only imagine the pillow talk between the two of you as far as he's Western medicine, you're Eastern medicine. Do you find that he has incorporated some of your Eastern medicine ideas into his practice in his Western medicine? Not necessarily into his practice, but he's very open-minded. The reason being is because he's an emergency medicine doctor and there's nothing Eastern about that. (laughs) It doesn't, it it like does not work because of course, you know, he's dealing with trauma. So it's kind of interesting because that's the creme de la creme of Western medicine. And that's really what he does. So it's more severe cases, you know, people coming in, losing blood and, you know, uh, infections and what have you, you know. He's saving lives and you're helping to create lives. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, um, it But is. yes, but we do have conversations and it's actually very interesting because sometimes he'll help me. He'll mention um, certain conditions or certain things that he's seen that are a little more severe. But, you know, it's obviously something that is interesting to me and actually helped me um, when I was going to school because I was able to understand the body a little better because he would explain it to me mm-hmm. from a... Western medicine perspective. And he is very open to my perspective as well, Um, especially when it comes to things that he's going through in his own life, like lower back pain or whatever it is, or just like digestion. So I can help him with that because it's a little more subtle. Um, We work with, we don't have to work with major medicine. We work with like herbs and also diet. Mm -hmm. And honey, and honey, don't forget the honey. Honey's heard, amazing. Yeah, I've heard about the honey that you want to always use local honey because it has the 
pollen from the local plants, especially if somebody oh, has allergies. Oh, that's interesting. No, I haven't heard that. That's that's. Um, I didn't know about that, the local honey, because of the local plants. I've heard that a lot for people that suffer with seasonal allergies, especially because mm-hmm. when you use the honey from the local honeybees, and they've, of course, gathered the pollen from the, the plants that are in the area, and then mm-hmm. you you build up, I don't know, whatever it is, res- I don't know. Immunity, yeah. To immunity or tolerance. And it doesn't doesn't end up being a a stimulant to the immune system because the immune system has gotten it in gradual doses. And who doesn't love honey? Oh, honey's amazing. Yeah, it's about as good as it gets. Well, back to the architecture side of your life. That, in my mind, requires a linear thinker to be able to do architecture for heaven's sakes, because in some way, de- yeah. Yeah. Well, you're designing buildings to scale and you have parameters that you have to use and they have to be structurally sound. I know you bring in the engineers to yes. help, help with that part of the, the project, but certainly you have to have a general understanding and you have to be very precise in what you're designing. Did you do primarily residential or commercial both so I but the thing is I didn't actually design anything yet because typically that's the either the presidents of the company if it's a big company or the owner most of the time and I was um basically I haven't gotten even to that level before I decided to change careers okay all right well back to the it takes a linear mind to be able to do it to study it to graduate from it and all of that does acupuncture as well require a linear mind? Um, I think it, were you going to ask more? Or? No, I, that's my first part of the question. And then my second part of the question is explain to us about acupuncture. I think most people have heard the term and they know it involves needles in some way, yeah. but I don't think most people, at least, especially in America, understand acupuncture and how it works and how long it's been around and how useful it is and all of that. So I'd I'd love for you to answer the question about the linear thinking Mm -hmm. and then just kind of give us an overview of acupuncture in general and how it works. So Chinese medicine is so intricate. And if you think about it, it's almost like um, a web. Actually, it's interesting because there's a book called The Web that has no weaver. So if anybody's interested in learning more, it's a wonderful book for a beginner, somebody who really wants to learn about it and is curious, um, really describes it in a beautiful way. And it shows every aspect of what it is, but in a way that people can grasp if they've never heard of it before. But it's um, it really is like a web. So if you think about a web, yeah, it's very linear and it has a formula. But at the same time it becomes abstract because there's so many different facets to it and you start to almost play it like an instrument um, with many different tones. So you learn the skill and that could be very linear, linear to understand the skill and to memorize the points and to memorize the formulas of the herbs and things like that. But then once you start to practice it and you kind of have that language in your mind then you can start to become almost a composer composer, or somebody who starts to see almost the different dimensions. And that 
always just comes in t- with time. It's not something that happens right away. You start to have a feeling for it. But the amazing thing with acupuncture is you it's hard to really go wrong because people are still getting benefit, which is just from having the needles, which is why when people do studies and research on it, and if they're using sham acupuncture, which isn't exactly the specific points, people are still getting benefits. So you can't really contrast and compare people who are receiving sham acupuncture to actual acupuncture because they're still getting benefit having the needles in there because it does kind of create a response in the body. Sham as, also, in, as in fake acupuncture or is yeah, that so a it's technique? Acu- it's acupuncture that's fake, meaning like it's not an exact, an exact points. So it's not in the exact points and there is a subtle difference, but they're still getting benefit because um, with acupuncture, there's something called ashi points or sometimes you put points in, in certain areas that are not specifically designated as points, um, if that makes sense. Okay, so back to sham, though. Is sham like it's fake, like it's a hoax, or is it, or is it a technique? Oh, no, they're acup- still receiving needles and acupuncture, but it's just not in points, in specific points that we learn. So it would be like a different type of acupuncture. No, it's just, it's regular acupuncture that they do, but they put the points in the wrong place. Okay. So they're just not doing it right. Kind of randomly. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So let's back up about how, why do you want to put needles in somebody's body? What, what does that do? Let's, let's start kind of at the beginning of how acupuncture works in general. So I'll explain to you basically in, in um, just metaphors, because that's the easiest way to really picture it, is that our body is almost like a circuit. Um, it, it's got a bunch of circuits of energy, just like a machine does, to feed and, and help travel or, or move the energy to feed the whole body. And each circuit runs through different organs. So there's different circuits for the organ. So the liver has a meridian. It's called the meridian. I, I call it, I'm calling it circuit. So you can kind of picture these lines that go deep in the body and they go through the liver and deep into the body. But every so often they come close to the surface of the skin. And when they do, those are the points, the acupuncture points. This is, these are the points that you can actually access them. So you can be a lot more specific to what you're doing therapeutically when you do that and you put the points in those specific areas that are a little more shallow where the meridians are a little more shallow and closer to the skin. So by doing that and putting the needles in those specific points, you're actually accessing meridians that potentially go very deep, that go deep into the body. So So, the the meridians as I'm picturing it is kind of like the wires that run the electricity to the different rooms and the different body parts would be where those meridians go to power those parts of the body. Am I understanding that? Yes. So, so imagine, um, you know, we have like certain outlets um, where they're deep, you know, the, the electricities, the wires are really deep inside the walls. You can't reach them unless you go to certain areas like outlets or um, circuit breaker or certain areas where they're 
close to the surface and we have access to them. Mm-hmm. So, so in Chinese medicine, those are the acupuncture points. And those are the points that you can access with either pressure, but obviously much deeper with needles. And what happens when you stick a needle into one of those points? Many times what you'll find is that people will um, actually feel something called de qi. And that's when you basically trigger a qi response in the body. You can literally feel your meridian. It'll shoot down the meridian. And it's crazy when you experience it and know you picture it in your head and then somebody shows you, because I've, I've done that to my husband because he's very scientific. So I'm like, here, look, is that where you felt it going? And I show him where the meridian is and, and he's like, oh my God, that's exactly where I felt it. So you'll almost feel like you're jump-starting a car, like you're jump-starting that meridian when you're feeling that point. And then it kind of, it helps that energy to start circulating. So when you're doing that, basically we're a ball of energy, energy and oxygen and nutrients in our bodies. When you do that, you unlock any kind of stagnation or blockages to allow that energy to flow more easily. And once that happens, the body is able to heal itself. So we don't actually do the healing. It's the body. We're just assisting the body to do its own self-healing on itself. Well, I don't think any medical provider or doctor or surgeon or any kind of acupuncturist or acupressurist or whomever heals anybody else ever. I believe that we all help the person heal themselves. And Mm -hmm. an analogy I like to use for that is, Think of a surgeon who makes an incision or in your husband's case, when he's got somebody coming into the ER with some big old cut or laceration, what's he do? He stitches it up with suture or he's using staples or something like that to hold it together. And then the body grows the skin back. That's right. Your your husband's not growing the skin back for the patient. The patient's body heals that, but he's the facilitator. He's the one that's putting that skin together and maybe cleaning it out and making sure it's not infected, but it's always our body that heals itself. The work that I do, and you know, from taking Mm -hmm. my class that we're all the facilitators helping the person heal themselves. I use the analogy of oftentimes I compare myself to a tugboat captain and you're the ship and I'm going to help steer you safely into port. And then you're going to take over once you're in port and mm. heal yourself. So yeah, yeah I agree with That's you great. on that. Okay. So when you put, first of all, do the needles hurt when you put them in? Sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes people will feel a little pinch. Um, sometimes if there's a lot of blockage, yeah, they're going to feel it a little bit more. Um, sometimes they feel nothing. Okay. Most of the time it really doesn't hurt. It's um, like a hair thin, right? It's a hair. Super, super thin. Yeah. Yeah. Super thin. So do you use different needles? Does everybody have their own set of needles or do you just sterilize the needles after every oh, no. use? Or No, no, no. It's just like going to the doctors. They'll never use a syringe twice. Okay. They so throw it's it all disposable. Everything is. Yeah. Okay. It's all disposable. All right. Can you tell I've never had it done? That's why I'm so fascinated. No, people ask that question a lot, actually. It's a very common question because you don't know. Well, back in the day, back in the day, I'm sure they did reuse the needles. 
They did, of course. And it was really funny um, because when I first came into the place that I was going to go to school, uh, the admissions director, he said, oh, you know, come in with your mom. We'll, we'll give you a free treatment. So I went in there. And so we were waiting in the waiting room and he goes, oh, we're just um, we're sterilizing the needles. <laughs> we'll be right back. And my mom and I looked at each other like, what? Yeah. I'm not so sure I want those in me. Yeah. But yeah, they used to, they used to sterilize all that stuff. And I was in the hospital supply industry for 30 years. So I know, I know about all that sterilization stuff. And then my gosh, even at the dentist, you know, Mm -hmm. they've got autoclaves and and the orthodontist. Well, they used to do that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they did have autoclaves and and so how does somebody get a block? Do they, are they born with it? Does it happen in their life? How, how does a block originate? And then when you stick the needle into a pressure point, does it release the block? Does it take more than one time to stick the needle in to get the block to release? How's that work? Yeah, so basically, um, yeah, of course, people are either born with it because some people are born with it. There's, you could be born with anything, really. Um, but really, most of the time, what I mean by blockages is basically stagnant energy. So that, or stagnant blood, sometimes stagnant blood can turn into tumors. So, cause it stagnates for so long, it starts to harden. So there's different, very, like everything's really a spectrum. So if a person is really anxious and tight, you could literally feel their skin. I, in some people, they're so stressed out. I can barely get the needle in, in their back. It's so tight. The skin becomes resistant to anything going inside. It's, it's hard as a rock. And you can feel the muscles too. I mean, people just get really, really tight. So imagine when you're stressed out, you know, you've ever felt like really stressed out. And, and most people will say that they feel it in their upper shoulder area. They're, they'll tighten their shoulders and, and tense up. So when you tense up, you're not really allowing a lot of flow to go in. You're you're stopping is what you're doing. And so doing that over and over and over again, it could be from like just stress. Um, It could be also from poor food and a sluggish circulation because you're, you know, you're not, you have too much dampness in the food. You know, there's so many different reasons why we can kind of cause that stagnation and stop things from moving. Uh, but that's pretty much how over time it just becomes more and more dense in certain areas. So in that case, because of the tightness and typically, you know, even when I was, um, I was doing hypnobirthing for when I was pregnant to prepare me for the labor. And one of the things they talked about was pain comes when there's tension. So if you actually lean into it, and breathe into it rather than fight it, then you'll feel less pain. What's so the same thing happens? Oh, hypnobirthing. Okay, so it's basically you do these mantras and visualizations to open yourself up for labor, for birth, and prepare yourself. So when you have the baby, you're not really fighting against it. And the whole idea behind it is that you don't need to feel pain during labor. Wow. And I know it's a concept. Crazy. Yeah, well, they, they and they show you videos in the beginning, which I think is hypnosis on its own of women just breathing through and having babies and, and taking holding them, standing up, not looking like patients, but just women having babies and not making it a medical thing. 
And it's uh, just really fascinating just about how natural it is and how our bodies know what to do. And that the more we fight it and, and like the mental idea of watching those shows on TLC, you know, just watching shows and seeing the pain or the description of it, we anticipate this horrible pain, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We could just lean into it. And the more we lean into it and allow it and not fight it, the easier it gets and, and the more flow we have. So it actually does reflect what, you know, what hypnobirthing does for birthing reflects very much how Chinese medicine can help allow the body to lean back and kind of allow the energy to flow more. And once it flows more, it's able to do what it needs to do. It's almost like getting the ambulance from one side of the town to the other. If there's too much congestion, too much happening, too much going on, too much chaos, it's not going to happen. Fascinating. Well, you hear all the stories about the rice paddy worker women since the beginning of time that would squat in the field and the baby would come out and then they'd put the baby on a backpack on their shoulder and then they'd keep working kind of a yeah. thing. And mm-hmm. and I I know when I was getting ready to have Jonathan, I remembered telling myself, okay, there are trillions of women that have done this and survived. <laughs> so I can't do because yeah. the first time at the end, you're kind of like, okay, this has to get out of where to get yeah. this baby born? <laughs> and do I really want to yeah. do that? And and then we, you know, the vast majority of us survive and move mm-hmm. on. And he came so fast that I couldn't have an epidural. I wanted him to hook it up a couple weeks early, kind of be like an astronaut and have one of those lifelines, you know, when they're walking in space or and walking on the moon. I thought, can't you just hook that thing up and have have it in there for a couple of weeks just in anticipation? Because I was so afraid of labor. But he came so fast, I couldn't have any drugs. And I just got up and walked for 45 minutes and then he was born. Wow. And I I don't understand why they have women lay down. What's up with that? Exactly. Exactly. I actually, I I stood up when um, my second one, I didn't have anything. My first one, she was sunny side up. So I did feel pain because her, the back of her head was against my pelvis, um, my, my sacrum. And it was really fun. At the end, he was able to move her, but I I needed an epidural. There was just no way. Uh, Second one, she was in the perfect position. And I did, I stood at one point when I felt the need to push, I stood up and I didn't, I had nothing. I didn't take anything. I stood up and I felt it. And I was like, just releasing it. And it felt like I wanted to, and it was just really natural. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Apparently I did scream when his shoulders came out. Mm-hmm. And one of the nurses came but in. Screaming is good. You need to, you need that force to help the child out. Well, one of the other, <laughs> one of the other LD nurses came down and said, what the heck's going on down here? These other patients <laughs> want to know, what are you guys doing in here? Yeah. And, uh, and so, of course, I don't remember that, but that's what, yeah. what my husband I says. do. I actually do remember screaming. And I'll, and I'll be honest, the reason you screamed is probably because you didn't have an epidural. You felt it. I do think that the screaming helps that pressure of, oh. of pushing them out. I guess. I don't know. Well, you see those, natural sumo, thing. You see those sumo, <laughs> sumo weightlifters, you know, in the old Olympics. And they're yeah. screaming when they're lifting 
I don't know, 800 pound dumbbells or something. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the same, the same. Uh, it's, it's all chi, right? All energy phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. When that happens. Okay. So this is fascinating about the acupuncture thing. Cause I've never had it. So I don't know this and I'm oh, you guessing, have to get acupuncture. Yeah, I need to come down and have you stick me with needles. I'll come down. Anytime. Just let me know. All right. So I'm, I imagine a lot of people that are listening to this or will listen to this are like me and they haven't had an experience. They know it exists, but the thought of sticking needles in somebody's body is just kind of like, why would I do yeah. that? But I know it's, <laughs> I know it's very ancient and how far back does it go in the, in the Eastern records that they've been able to find that, that acupuncture and acupressure really do they even know when it began? Do they have history that goes back that far? Well, um, what they do know is at least 3,000 years ago that they know of, but um, lots of book burning happened and lots of material was lost. Um, so a lot of information was lost. And even what we learn now um, is, is a fraction of what used to be. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. And, yeah. and it's interesting, my, my guess is, my supposition is that most of the work that you do has been done for thousands of years. Maybe you've mm-hmm. got a, a new spin on it, like disposable needles, right. but <laughs> for the most part, it's still the same techniques that have been practiced over millennia. Yeah, and, and I think that that's what makes it special is that of course, you know, things were lost and it's probably not quite as, um, you know, it's lost a little integrity over time just because things change and things get lost. But, the, you know, really the, the core message of it and understanding really it's, it's all about understanding what helps nature thrive because we are part of nature and how we need the duality, you know, the, the yin, the yang, the sun, the moon, all the different balances that the, that nature goes through in order to thrive. And that never goes out of style. It's not something that, you know, when you see a lot of like new medicines coming out or new discoveries, a lot of times another discovery comes and disproves the other one. And it's very unstable. um, If you think about it, even though there are amazing advances as well, but it's, it's a little more rocky. It's a little more unstable. You know, somebody comes and discovers one thing, another person disproves them and studies discovers something else. But with this, it really comes down to just such simplicity and just nature and understanding the laws of nature. And that never goes out of style. It's just, as long as you're on this planet, those laws of nature are way stronger than any of our research or science or anything. It's just the observation of what is. Back to just the fundamentals of acupuncture, if you'll humor me for another couple of minutes on this. Oh, yeah. Somebody comes in and they say, okay, I have a sinus. My sinus is hurt all the time. Do you put them on their back and you're sticking needles in their head? Do you have certain meridians that are not near the sinuses that you're going to access? Do you stick needles on them while they're laying on their back on the front of them and then flip them over after you're done sticking needles and you pull them out and then you stick more needles in the back? How does all that work? 
So some people do both sides, depending on what it is. I, I don't do that. I do different sides for one treatment, but um, you can do something called local. There's local points and you can do local points for sinus. They're a little painful. It's right next to the, the, the folds of your nostrils. Uh, but there's really, really, really powerful points there. They really open you up. It's almost like having something spicy. You're like, oh, and it kind of, um, it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you can feel it in your sinuses, almost like a wasabi, you know, that kind of like feeling. It almost opens you up and, and makes you tear. And there's also points. There are also points, um, one on the hand, which is the command point for the face. So anything to do with the face, this point, which is not on the face, it's on the hand, can reflect the face. Now, another thing too is we do something called body mapping. So this is why sometimes what's called the sham acupuncture that we discussed before can impact somebody without them realizing it because you can do also body mapping. So if you look at an arm, you can look at the hand and the hand can reflect the head, the wrist can reflect the neck, and then you go into like the torso um, and then um, where I bend here is where I would bend my body. Like I'm, I'm showing you, but if people aren't hearing, um, seeing me, I'm talking about, I'm bending my elbow right now and I'm, I'm putting my hand right in the inner crease of my elbow, the opposite of my elbow. And that is where um, it would reflect my abdomen or the area where like my hips. So, but that, that's not what it only reflects. It can also reflect my leg. So it's crazy, but you basically can reflect every single part of your body and every single part of your body, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like the collective consciousness, you know, we're all part of spirit mm -hmm. as individuals, but we're part of like, if we turned ourselves into a drop of water and dropped ourselves into the ocean, we become part of the ocean. Mm -hmm. but we still have a, you know, we still are water, but we are part of the ocean as well. So yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Cause I know ref reflexology, I've had reflexology foot massages before mm -hmm. where they can access different meridians with different organs. Like they'll begin a foot. Very rub similar. They'll, yeah. Very they'll, similar. I don't know, rub a part of my foot and I'll be like, whoa what's that? And they'll say, well, your liver's out of whack. I'll say, well, how can you tell that from my foot? And I know it's the same kind of thing. So do you ever have people that come in that just want an overall tune up? Yeah. And they don't absolutely. really have anything going on and they just kind of come in periodically, maybe once a month or once a quarter or something just to stay in alignment and stay healthy. Absolutely. And, but w when you do what I do, and I'm sure you probably see the same, everybody has something going on at one point or another, but it's just a varied degree. So it could be very, very, very minor. Um, but there, every, everybody has a little like tuning that they could use. Um, it could be whatever, it could be anything and it could be just a little digestive, but very, very slightly or a little sluggish, but it's not anything like too severe. So it's just very easy to do one, one treatment a month if, if you're doing maintenance or one every two weeks. And um, some people, it's amazing. Some people who have had really severe symptoms have come once, very few times after, and immediately had just a release and a shift. It's crazy. Very, very rare. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Fascinating. Does insurance cover it? 
Usually it does. It does. I personally um, don't deal with insurance anymore. It was just too much of a headache with the high deductibles and everything. And I'm out of network. Um, but yeah, but most acupuncture, what I do personally, even people who don't take insurance can actually submit a super bill for the patient and the patient submits it to the insurance and they do get paid back. So yeah, insurance does cover. Which is just fantastic. And what an accomplishment for the acupuncture oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. association or whoever lobbied with the insurance companies to say, okay, we need to get paid for this. My daughter-in-law, Mallory, Dr. Mal is a veterinarian. And I know, mm-hmm. and she learned acupuncture in veterinary mm-hmm. medicine. They taught it as part of her curriculum. Oh, oh yeah. And I have oh. a friend who has horses. It's actually, amazing. Yeah. I but was just with her and they have an acupuncturist that's a vet that comes out a vet acupuncturist I guess is what they call themselves and they come I think at least once a month maybe every other week or something to work on her horses most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, all together, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. And it, and it works. And that's that's the amazing thing. When, when it works on animals or babies, you know it works. There, then there's no placebo there. Good point. I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of babies, let's let's transition into your area of expertise, which is fertility. And when working with a couple who want to conceive, what's your normal protocol? Are are these people that have been through other perhaps IVF or or they're doing it in conjunction with IVF or what's the what's the is there a typical and what's the the broad brushstroke of the couples with whom you work yeah it's um there is no typical i have ranges of uh, imbalanced hormones people trying to go naturally people without any period at all um completely needing to jumpstart their period from zero um people who have too much stress people who are doing ivf iui um that did a retrieval, want to help with transfer, or want have done failed retrievals and want to do it again and want to work on their egg quality. So I get uh, so many ranges of couples. Um, sometimes men coming in, most of the time it's women. 
it's just um it's just every once in a while the husband will come in as well and i get very happy when i do see that because it's, it's just not always the case whether they're really busy with work or whatever it is sometimes it's hard to get the get the guys in do you find that it's usually women-led that want to have babies i talked to guys my son's 29 and none of his friends or him are interested in having kids, but their wives talk about it like, okay, in five years or something, mm -hmm. we'll start thinking about it. And the guys are like, yeah, whatever. I, do you find that the, that the male partners are doing it just because they know their female partners or wives want to have a baby? Is it more female-led? Is that a species thing that we females have? Well, by the time they come to me, they're both on board, that's for sure. But um, the women are a lot more into, like, they will not leave one stone unturned. They want to make sure they do everything. So they'll do the research, they'll figure it out. And they're like, my patients are some of the smartest women I know. They are so smart. They teach me. They're like, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? I mean, that's like so much of what I've learned is just talking to them and, and what research they've done. I'm like, oh, I'll look into this. So whatever new thing came up or um, from their IVF treatments, um, there's so many different add-ons or, you know, just so many, so many different aspects, but they are just so um, motivated and I really do feel that that is a primal thing with women mm -hmm. wanting babies. I agree. I agree with that. So you just mentioned a minute ago about the improving the quality of their eggs. You can do that with acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Because so, yeah. don't, doesn't <laughs> a woman when she's born have a certain number of eggs? Mm -hmm. And then do, can the eggs get healthier when they're in the ovaries? So the eggs um, start out as tiny, 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 tiny little follicles. And it takes them three, it takes them three months to mature. So during that maturation, that's why we always say a minimum of three months to really see how this is affecting, impacting you. But it takes them three months to mature. And as they grow and mature, if you give them the right nutrients, they will grow really healthy. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Energetically, I scan a lot of women that are trying to conceive. Thanks to a lot, thanks to you, because I've been on your show, and so people hear me on your show, and then they they schedule a consult with me. And it, eggs look like blonde caviar to me, mm -hmm. and yeah. and they're kind of in a clump. Mm -hmm. And then when a woman is ovulating, what it looks like to me again, this is in my head. I'm seeing this scene in my head. It looks like a red zit. Maybe mm -hmm. when you were a teenager, I'd call it an <laughs> underground zit where before it develops a head yeah. and it, and it's in, and those are the ones that hurt the most where it's a, you know, like an underground zit. And then mm -hmm. that's where the egg pops out. That's when they mm -hmm. ovulate. That's what it looks like yeah. to me. Is that what it really looks like? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's all right. The follicle is basically the eggs in the middle. Um, it's surrounded by flu fluid and then it goes, um, it has a, uh, like a, a membrane around. And then what happens is during ovulation, that egg shoots out and the remaining is called the corpus luteum. Mm -hmm. And that actually produces progesterone. And that's why uh, when they check progesterone after ovulation, it shows or proves that they ovulated that month. Okay. All right. That makes sense. 
Well, and then the other thing that's so interesting is when I am working with moms who sometimes I'll see ovaries that just look like they're dark, they're not active at all. And then I watch stem cell energy regenerate a new ovary. And then I watch an ovary transplant in my mind's eye during the healing where mm-hmm. all the, the connector tubes and everything get clamped off. And then the old ovary gets removed and the new ovary gets put in place. And then all the plumbing gets hooked back up, which is interesting. And I've had moms say, well, are those my eggs? And I'll say, of course, they're your eggs. They're just... Mm-hmm they're a mirror of what your ovary looked like. It's just a new ovary with all of the same energy and all the same DNA and everything. It's just a new bunch of eggs in a new Mm -hmm. ovary. It's fascinating to watch from an energetic standpoint. And then I can watch going down the tubes and clearing them out. I I worked with a woman this morning who we watched, I watched that procedure happen in a healing and, and I watched an energetic DNC happen in her uterus mm-hmm. to get the uterine lining scraped out. And once you it was scraped out, you do. And then mm-hmm. I found scar tissue. And I said, did you, have you ever had a procedure because you've got scar tissue in your uterus? And she said, yeah, I did. I had some wow. polyps removed so I could see the scar tissue with that. How do you do it with herbs? How do you do a DNC with herbs? Well, so, um, well, we call it that, but it's not a full on DNC, but basically, um, we use herbs that move the blood, which typically we're not supposed to use during periods, but in the case of, uh, fertility, it's okay to use ones that build blood and move the blood, move the blood is almost like imagine blood thinners, but it's not quite as strong. Right. So it actually gets gets the uterus to shed even stronger. It pushes a little bit more. And what that does is it really cleans out. Interesting. Does castor oil really make women go into labor? Um, I don't I I don't suggest it. I honestly don't know. I've I heard know. that. Yeah, that's kind of an old wives tale. But I wouldn't I... suggest to do it. I didn't even take it myself and I I was a week late with both and I I did not do it cuz I was I was looking at everything, but I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, but <laughs> you've heard of that? I have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which but I, I don't think is just it's true. It's not. just fish oil, isn't it? Isn't castor oil just fish no. oil? It's, 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 a, it's a certain type of, it almost looks like an almond or nut. Like uh, it's a certain type of oil. It's not oh. fish oil. Yeah. Um, and it has med- very medicinal qualities. It's, it's great for a lot of things. I suggest a lot of times castor oil pack, but actually back to the ovaries. And I wanted to see what your thoughts on this um, or intuition was on this. You know, there, there are some theories and it was based on some cancer medicine that was given to a woman. And they do believe that somehow it actually increased her amount of follicles that we are not necessarily born with all the follicles we'll ever have. And that there is that possibility that we can grow them. Mm-hmm. I get a yes on that. I feel that too. Yeah. Like, cause we just don't know. I we haven't yes discovered it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So are we born with a set number of follicles? I got to know. And I'll talk to these women who've been to an IVF specialist and they say, well, you just don't have enough eggs. And then I'll look at them energetically. I'm going, yeah, you've got plenty of eggs. It just takes one. The thing that was interesting that I saw this morning with this client, though, was we worked on her husband as well. 
And the IVF people were saying he had slow swimmers, his slow sperm. So I watched this. It looked like a chain link fence almost. It was a screen that was put inside his testicle where the, you know, where the sperm were. And it was like the bigger, fatter, slower sperm were in the back and the little muscular, fast swimmers were in the front because the big ones couldn't fit through this screen. I'd never seen that healing before, Michelle. And so I said, well, we've just segregated the fast swimmers from the slow swimmers. And I, the thought I got was of two kids racing in a swim meet at a mm-hmm. pool and one's heavy and not very fast. He's kind of slow. And then the other one's little and lean and was like grease lightning swimming through the water. And I thought that was fascinating that I yeah. saw that healing. It was like put right in the middle. Have you ever seen a dog kennel where they'll have that chain link fence stuff put up and they'll keep the big dogs away, perhaps from the little dogs or just segregate the dogs. That's what it reminded me of. It wasn't that big of a hole. It was more Mm -hmm. like a screen on a screened in porch that you'd Mm -hmm. see or a window screen, but the little swimmers were in the front. And what I was getting was those little swimmers were going to go do the job and it wasn't going to be a mix of both. Right. So I thought that was interesting because I would think that that would be able to, to, up the percentage chance that the one of those swimmers the was going to get to the egg. Yeah. 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 The little, the little lean fast ones were going to yeah. get there. Yeah. That's wild. It's, it, it's amazing how everybody's so different. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. I said, God love you. I said, I can't wait to hear how you tell your husband we were playing around with his balls here while we were doing this healing. <laughs> he started laughing and she's going, yeah, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm going to tell him that. I said, okay, good. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, really this, woman, this woman in Alabama I was talking to, you know, we were playing around with your balls, but it was fun. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. You say that you incorporate the mind and how it influences conception. Can you talk a little bit about that and and explain what you mean by that statement? So um, like we were talking before, you were just saying that a woman comes in and then she goes to the doctor and the doctor says to her, oh, you know, you don't have enough eggs or um, I've seen that so many times that <laughs> I, I can call BS on it for a lot of things because it's just not true. It really, uh, I really believe that the mind is so powerful and you are such a great example of it. I mean, the way you heal and the way you describe your healing is exactly how people can literally get into their body and see these little symbolic stories of what's happening. And it, it really is that simple. It's just kind of, you know, coming in and seeing your ovaries get more energy or get fed to a place or even going inside your body and feeling where am I feeling that stagnation? Your body is always communicating with you. So our minds are like so powerful. And I feel like we have this vehicle, like really powerful vehicle that we don't really know how to drive, but we have such power and has such potential. And that's really the mind. So you can actually impact your body. And one example was, um, you know, the lemon example, imagining a lemon and holding it in your hands and, and cutting it open. And most people who, and then putting it in your mouth and feeling all the, the juices flowing. And most people will salivate the second they think about that. Why they're not holding a lemon. Why are they salivating? Because they're thinking of lemon and they're getting a physiological reaction. 
So what else could we do, right? So it's just, a, it's really fascinating. I mean, I know you know this because this is what you do and you do it really with your, your imagination is so on point and so strong, but you trust it. You trust that imagination will do something and you, you utilize it and you navigate that inner world to empower and to heal. It's remarkable. Thank you for that. When I first started doing this and I thought, I just got to think I'm nuts if I tell them a body, you know, their ovaries and their eggs look like blonde caviar or a body part looks like a bowl of whipped cream or something like that. But I hear always from people often, often, often that they love the visualizations because it can Mm -hmm. help them visualize. And to your point, when we can visualize what it is we want to happen, the body's going to follow. I love the lemon example. I always use the example of, have you ever watched a scary movie on TV and your brain knew it was pretend, but your heart might've felt like it was getting ready to jump out of your Mm -hmm. chest at any given moment because it was just so darn scary. Totally. Yeah. And so that was funny. What percentage of fertility challenges are related to the woman and what percentage are related to the man? Are those statistics available? It is, um, you know, you want to say 50-50. I think it's a little uh, different, a little bit over to the woman, um, I believe, but it's about 50-50. I mean, it really is um, a lot of times both you know, not both at the same time. Sometimes it is, but yeah, they, because even miscarriages could be the sperm's DNA. So you have to really work on both. And I think it's important for men to supplement just as much as women do. Women are the ones that'll take all the supplements, eat whatever, you know, it goes back to that whole primal thing. Uh, but men have such an important role as well. I mean, such an important role. So at the least, just take supplements. Don't put the cell phone in your front pocket. You know, things like that. that that's like a, every single guy I always see, they just put it right there. I promise you that's my next question. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Is cell phone radiation a real problem for men? That's because I'm an AAT graduate. I, I read your mind. <laughs> that, that must be it. We are like, we're ESPN friends. You know? Totally. Psychic Friends Network. Honest to God, my next question is, is cell phone radiation a real problem for men and how can they address it without giving up their phone? Mm -hmm. What do you tell them? Put it in their butt. Put Put it it in in your back pocket and have have the screen. What I've read is have the screen up next to your butt cheek. Have the Mm -hmm. back of it facing out because that's where most of their radiation goes. Exactly. And then sometimes, you know, um, put a sticker, you know, one of those radiation shields. One thing that also I've heard of is shungite, it's called. Shungite is um, it's a type of stone. It's a black stone that is said to be absorbing of radiation. And they sell them in small, tiny little discs where you can actually stick them on. There's like a little uh, peel. You peel it off and you stick it on. You can stick it on the back of your phone. And sometimes people, you know, it's easier to even put it on top of the case. It's fine. It's still going to absorb what's there. Interesting. So you think those little disc things really work? I'd like to think, you know, I still say do everything, um, do that, put it in the back pocket. Um, Most people don't have butt issues or butt, you know, fat cells don't tend to have as much of a sensitivity to anything. Um, It's more the sex organs that tend to be, if anything, I mean, the health it can really impact the health of uh, 
those, you know, the groin, the breast, all those areas should be totally avoided. If you have to do something, put it in your butt. Well, that's what I say that that you're frying the family jewels when you've got exactly. it in the front part <laughs> pocket. Those jewels like, are important. I, I know it. I, I tell Jonathan <laughs> that. I say, my babies yeah. are in there. You need to put yeah. that phone in your back pocket. Exactly. Well, and then I see a lot of men, especially older men, will put it in their shirt pocket right next to their heart. And I'm like, no. what are you or, doing? Or breast. You know, men can get breast cancer too. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do see that with women every now and again, but not as often mm-hmm. as with men doing that. You you had mentioned about the rear end being fat. Does fat help in the good the right kind of fat? Does that help increase fertility? I've yes. read that. Yes. Um, so it's really good for equality as well. Fat is very necessary for um, hormone production in the body and the right type of fat. You know, it's important to have the right type of fat, but people have become afraid of fat. Um, part of it was that there was this... Um, research done uh, paid by the sugar companies to a long time ago to um, to really put the heart health blame on fat Um, and then people went all fat free let's just have and then they put extra sugar to give some taste and and now they're finding it's completely not true and fat is very healthy it's very necessary but it's the right type of fat and same thing with carbs carbs are not a bad thing it's just having the right type of complex carbs you don't want anything like sugar or syrup or something that um, is too simple carbs so what's the right type of fat and what are the right type of carbs so fats um i tend to like uh fish oils um nordic naturals i love so you can supplement with them you can have sardines if you like some people don't like it um wild-caught salmon Uh, avocado hemp seeds lots of omega-3 fatty acids are really great um you were talking about carbs as well Mm -hmm. what are Um, what are good carbs in your world i'm sure twinkies twinkies aren't part of your suggested eating list they're good tasting but they're not good for you (laughs) but yeah so so um anything like plantains and also at a minimum you don't want to overdo anything um especially carbs because they can be strong in the body you know so very starchy starchy carbs but you can have um you know plantains are really great uh sweet potatoes quinoa um things that have that are more complex carbs that take a little longer to digest you can also have carbs in um, in fruits, the best kind of fruits really are the blueberries, blackberries, high antioxidant rich uh, fruits, and they also are great for inflammation and that kind of thing. So, so food, um, it's just good to have a variety of whole foods, foods that are grown from the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best. I eat well blueberries most nights for dinner because, as you know, I gave up sugar a couple of years ago. So I still want it, but I don't eat it. So I eat well. But that's a great way to have it. You can have it. You can enjoy it. And it's, it's not, it's good for your body. It is. And then I have to bleach my teeth every once in a while. Cause it's like my teeth. <laughs> yeah. I look like a Smurf. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I look like a Smurf because my yeah. I have blue teeth with that. <laughs> oh gosh. Speaking of teeth, I've read recently that teeth and gum health have a correlation not only with our health in general, but also with fertility. Yep. Have you found that in your meridians that when you're working on somebody that that can come up? 
Um, so uh, the people that have come in, most of the time they've done, done, they've taken care of dental work. Every once in a while, I have people that have really major issues mm-hmm. and they are struggling with fertility, you know, at the same time. And um, what's interesting is in Chinese medicine, the kidneys are really in charge of reproductive health. They are responsible for when a woman um, gets puberty and a man gets puberty, like when a woman starts her cycle and um, the, I guess their, what do you want to, not organ or element, but their, they basically teeth is, teeth are connected to the kidneys. So if you have good teeth, it's usually because your parents gave you good pre-heaven kidney chi. Um, and you have really good teeth. And as we get older, our chi, our kidney chi declines. And that's why older people lose their teeth. Huh. What do the kidneys have to do with fertility other than they, they filter out toxins? Is that the main yeah, thing? Yes. So, that so um, no, the kidneys are considered, um, it's different. It's not Western medicine kidneys. It's completely, okay. it's completely uh, looked at differently. The kidneys are in charge they basically hold the yin and the yang so they have uh they do have water as part of their element but they also have fire if you have too little fire the water will accumulate and you have um, edema and then if you have too hot fire there's no not enough water you get too dry you need really this perfect balance where you have the water and the heat will create steam with the water just the right amount so they're kind of the yin and the yang in the kidneys Harmonize. Right. So, so I'm hearing you talk about water and fire and all that, and I'm thinking of feng shui, which is mm-hmm. obviously very, Eastern. very similar. And uh, and I have a feng shui gal that I've used for years, and I can watch energy patterns in my house. And when they get out of whack, I'll, I'm on the phone with Mary, the feng yeah. shui lady, and I'm going, Mary, what's up? Yeah, and she'll say, okay, do this, do that, and and then I can scan the house, and I can see that the energy has corrected itself it's fascinating and that stuff's ancient as well that's thousands of years old as well it's basically um it's kind of chinese medicine on the on the environment right which is interesting for you as a a former architect to see that because i know my feng shui gal has clients that when they're designing a building feng shui is every bit a part of the design as the engineering and the architecture and all of that and what direction the building faces and mm-hmm. where it's located and all that kind of stuff is fascinating as well. I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. <laughs> oh, it's sure. fascinating. And obviously you're brilliant and you're, you're so dedicated. I know how dedicated you are to your clients and your patients. And, oh, and you. I know how much comfort they get along with their fertility journey. And I know you have a huge success rate of helping clients. So do clients have to come to Miami to find you or can they work with you virtually? How does, how do you have that set up? No, I I do virtual consults. Um, I do virtual programs. I do self-study courses. Um, So it doesn't have to be in person. Okay. And how can people find you? Um, So the easiest way is to go to my website, which is www.michelleorvitz.com. And then from there, you can connect to my clinic and and just everything, uh, all the different programs. Spell Orvitz. 
O-R-A-V as in Victor, I-T-Z. Okay, michelleoravitz.com. Mm-hmm. All right. She's a goddess, you guys. Oh. <laughs> Any of you that are are wanting to have some help with your fertility journey, even if you haven't had any problems, I would think it would make sense to talk to you, even as somebody is preparing mm-hmm. to conceive, even before they try. Mm-hmm. And just so that they can have everything lined up and, and it'll be smooth sailing, hopefully for them. I, I, what I'm seeing, and maybe it's just the clients that come to me that are trying to conceive, they're older. Is there a skew where women are older now? Delivering women, has the age gone up over what it was certainly 20 years ago? It seems like it has to me, just of the people that I know. I think a lot of times people... Um you know, decide to put off having children or they get married later. Um, But a lot of times now with women, careers have kind of taken the forefront. So what I always suggest is if that's the case, no problem, but freeze your eggs. (laughs) And I've helped women do that as well. Single women that just want to prepare their bodies and and just want to freeze their eggs and have that option. That's a great idea. I actually was on a show about that to freeze or not to freeze. It was a mm-hmm. summit earlier yeah. in the year. And what what is an optimal age to do that if a woman is focusing on her career or she hasn't met the man of her dreams yet? Mm-hmm. What is the is there an age range where you would suggest that? And can yeah, we talk absolutely. about that just for a minute? Since of course, you it of up? course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, like I was even having the conversation with my husband. I'm like, listen, if our kids get to 33, uh, 32, 33, I think it's a perfect age because around that time, your egg quality is still good. Uh, you and you want to, you know, for the most part, everybody's different. But you can also again, you can increase it with the right um, choices that you can you can make supplements and you can definitely help improve and, and uh, optimize and around that age is great because it, it's it'll last about 10 years you, you know obviously the cycle of freezing is is not too long and you're not gonna probably most likely unless you're trying later on uh, most people are going to want around 40 41 42 43 you know um, at that point you'll find a person that you're going to marry or you're going to decide to just do it on your own. Yeah. And you find a sperm donor. Yeah. And then exactly. And then they fertilize the eggs with a sperm donor. Hell this morning with whom I was working, she said, you know, it's just not fair because the sperm donors, it's, I think you pay 200, 200 bucks for a sperm donor and you pay 25,000 for an egg donor. And I said, well, it's a lot harder to get the eggs out oh, than for sure. the sperm. So Yeah, they have to go under. I mean, it's a whole process. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so around from 30 to 32 is what I heard is a good yep. range. Um, I would say 30, 32, 33. Okay. That's what if, if you really want like two numbers. But yeah, it could be anywhere from 30 to 34 really is a bigger range. Okay, perfect. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to need to go because I'm going to come up with other questions and we're going to be here another hour. So michelleoravitz.com. Everything's there. Anybody that's looking to conceive or know somebody that is go to Michelle's website. It will lead you to all kinds of different tools and different things that can help you and, and schedule an appointment with Michelle so that she can help you too, because her success rate is phenomenal. You guys, oh. <laughs> I know about it. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. 
this week. And, you know, I love and adore you and sending you big hugs and kisses from Sweet Home, Alabama and from Miami too. Michelle's in Miami. And next week we'll be back with a live show. So take care, everybody. Enjoy your weekend and your week. Bye now. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.